I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The SCP Foundation. What is the SCP Foundation? It's a connected series of user-generated short internet horror fiction stories that started on 4chan before migrating to its own massive, consistently evolving wiki page. It's about a shadowy government-adjacent organization dedicated to finding, containing, and transporting paranormal entities to an underground black site facility where they are cataloged. The stories are told in the format of notes written by the organization's members who observe the creatures and through these cold, impersonal journal entries, a gigantic world of cosmic horror has slowly unfolded. It's an example of the power of global creative collaboration, decentralized and open source storytelling, and it also slowly wheeled itself into existence and spawned a series of massively popular video games, books, and movies. Today. We're going to do a definitive deep dive on the creation, rise of popularity, and cultural impact of one of the strangest and most entertaining group projects of all time. Act 1. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a combination of feces and blood. Let's try some word association. Internet, Google, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, podcasts, computers, smartphones, the world at your fingertips. Information superhighway. Yesterday's tomorrow, here today. Horror, fear, terror, bump in the night. The flight half of a fight or flight response. This might spark a few different images in your mind. Slender Man, fake supernatural vlogs. Slick web series backed by semi-successful companies starring semi-successful actors. Throwback monster movies funded on Kickstarter. The 2010s zombie boom. And serial killers. So many serial killers. But if you move past all that, you find the deepest level of internet horror. Creepypasta. A derivative of the term copypasta, which is in turn a typo of the phrase copy-paste. Creepypasta is short horror fiction written by amateurs and spread by word of keyboard. Usually made for the simple purpose of scaring as many people as possible, creepypastas are effectively the folklore of the digital age. And like all good folklore, you'll find a recurring cast of characters and ideas. You probably know Slenderman, he of the dark forests and the multiple successful web series. Those of you who are young in a certain era probably also know Jeff the Killer and Smile Dog. If you want to get funny with it, here's this classic. Okay, so basically it's like this. You were at a friend's house... For like the night or whatever and then you guys are making out on the couch yeah and then like her dad calls on the phone and says no i she likes it more if you use the other hand yeah and you're a like oh dude your dad is trying to give me advice on how to diddle you and then she's like i don't have a dad or whatever but what who was phone so this is like this is this is like copy this is like creepypasta anti it's like anti creepypasta like how there's anti comedy where it's like a, a per, it's like a person kayfabing trying to retell a trope of horror but in like the shittiest way possible where they're just being completely lazy and not even attempting to do it the right way which i i, I find funny but spandrew who was phone who was phone we'll, we'll never who fucking was know. phone but also simultaneously I think this is funny, and I understand the anti-comedy of it, 
but also it's the progeny of a very specific type of 4chan, 4chan culture, which in the macro just kind of annoys me, where it's like everything is ironic and there's no sincerity. Like 4, 4chan is a vacuum of sincerity. And in the macro, that type of culture really annoys me. Yeah, I uh, I have not had much interaction on for, with 4chan because I've purposefully stayed away from it. But I think I told you this when it happened. The only time I've ever really delved into 4chan in any depth was when my webcomic Action Hospital got posted on there. And like the traffic on my website like went through the roof for like three days. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? What is this? And I saw in the like backlinks that it was from 4chan. So I went and I started reading all these posts <laughs> of people talking about my webcomic on 4chan. And I was bracing for it to be like not positive for it to for them to, you know, not be into it. Uh, but I was very surprised. They were like, well, this isn't bad. This is kind of weird. I'm kind of into this. <laughs> Yeah, I think luck, luckily for you, I think I think so, I mean, and this isn't a knock against you at all, but I think many of the types of comics you make would be fodder for criticism on 4chan, like not not because it's bad, but just because it, it like I said, sincerity is the worst crime you could commit on 4chan. But I think that luckily Action Hospital is almost kind of agnostic to the ways in which 4chan is toxic yeah it's weird i would have thought that they would have hated it just because the protagonist is a gay black girl but turns out they didn't care about that because there was a were whale <laughs> they were like well there's a were whale huh all right oh sharker ham lincoln huh i guess the the stupidity of my ideas superseded the sincerity and uh the amount of um the amount of kind of it's a weird way to say because the, the way I always think about it, action hospitals it's like it's a it's a silver age it's like a reboot of a silver age like a goofy comic so it's still all those goofy ideas but treated seriously um, and so I guess they just reacted to the goofy silver age stuff and didn't pay attention to the fact that it was treated seriously or something I, I have no idea why it worked but they liked it I think the reason why is because you're an edgelord Chad well there's that too. But through all the world of creepypasta, there's one standout, perhaps even more so than Slenderman, one amalgamation of stories, concepts, and characters that people have spun into so many different forms that it became a kind of decentralized multimedia empire. Star Wars for horror. This is the SCP Foundation, a cold, amoral network of researchers dedicated to capturing, cataloging, and studying the world's unexplained phenomena. As the acronym goes, Secure, contain, protect. Ghostbusters goes international. How did the anti-heroes of internet horror start? A post on 4chan's slash X board by a user called SS Walrus on June 22nd of 2007. It was titled, From the Files of Site-19. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know whether to talk about the image or, the, or read the story first. Uh, let's talk about the image first. Okay, so yeah, so we got, so we have this, the, fir- the very first SCP story, which we'll get into this later, but it's, it's not number one. This is actually SCP number 173 because as as we'll get into the stories, they're not in sequential order. They're basically to service the kayfabe of them. They're just random numbers. And and as a matter of fact, it's a big thing in, in SCP lore that there is no number one. They've, they've, many people have tried to write a number one and none of them have been accepted as canon. But this is, this is SCP number 173. 
Um, but it's got a story and then we have an image attached to it. So what, what are we looking here? What, what are we looking at here with this picture, Dave? So this is, uh, it looks like we're in some sort of warehouse or a storage facility. Um, there's white, um, white tiles on the wall, a four paneled window, um, and then kind of like a shed style sheeting, uh, on the wall. It, we're looking catty corner into the corner of the room we're seeing a left wall that's this corrugated kind of uh tin roofing type material and then the right wall is all brick uh with these four windows in it or three windows in it um and directly lodged in the corner is a strange almost totemic looking sculpture of a humanoid creature with large, like bulbous eyes and an inflated chibi-style head, that looks like it's sculpted out of a mixture of wood and paper mache, and has a kind of like naivete to the art, but also has um, a sense of craft to it. It's not something that is poorly made. It's something that's made in a rustic style or in a um, kind of almost uh, uh, almost in a in a like. They kind of look like Southwest Cocapelli sculptures to a certain degree, but like if you filtered that that through a Dia de los Muertos mask and then added in like some weird um, like those Sasquatch sculptures that you find in like the in the in the Northwest. Yeah, the, the sculptures that are carved out of logs with a chainsaw. Yeah, and uh, the the little humanoid man appears to be maybe five or six feet tall. He looks like he's he's about the size of the room and he has tiny Jurassic Park arm or Jurassic uh, T-Rex arms and he's like leaning in the corner of the room and his head is kind of arched back looking at the person taking the photograph. Yeah, so let's read the story and then I want to talk a little bit more about the image after we've gotten the context of the story. But what what would you say, before we've even read the story, um, would you say that there... So for me, like this is the, this is one of those types of images and very much the reason why it was used for this first story that has like this undefined quality that makes it very kind of disturbing to me or unsettling. It's when you look at it, it's it's really it's one of those it's one of those pictures or visual imagery that literally outwardly is kind of nothing. It's just like, oh, here's this weird little statue or something in a room. But there's some kind of quality to it that makes it scary that you can't really put your finger on. And I think it's a combination of the deformed proportions of it, how tall it is, and the fact that it's looking back at you. Like the idea that something like this that had that, that was this size and had this shape of head would be alive and aware of your presence is eerie in some kind of like subconscious way. Let's let's read this story though. This is this is SCP number 173. Special containment procedures. Item SCP-173 is to be kept in a locked container at all times. When personnel must enter SCP-173's container, no fewer than three may enter at a time, and the door is to be relocked behind them. At all times, two persons must be looking at SCP-173 until all personnel have vacated and relocked the container. Description. Move to Site-19, 1993. Little is known about item number SCP-173's origins. It is constructed from concrete and rebar and was once painted with Krylon brand spray paint. SCP-173 
is animate and malevolent. If given the chance, it will kill anyone within its line of sight. Its weakness, however, is that it does not move while it's being watched. Despite this paralysis, it is still highly dangerous, able to cover a literal two meters in the blink of an eye. It typically kills by either snapping the victim's neck from behind or grabbing the victim's throat and strangling him. Whatever animates SCP-173 does not give it much force with which to break things. As seen above, a large room with unbarred windows is fully capable of containing it. Its grip, however, is unbreakable, as when it is not moving, the statue is hard and strong as concrete. While left alone in its room, one can hear a stone-on-stone -stone scraping from within that is believed to be the sound of SCP-173 moving about. The reddish-brown substance on the floor is a combination of feces and blood. We don't know, nor wish to find out, where it comes from or how it arrives, but SCP-173's container will slowly fill with these substances. In order to ensure that bacterial growth does not begin to damage the building it is contained in, and to maintain some level of sanitation, the enclosure must be cleaned on a bi-weekly basis. All right, so there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about with this, now that we've read this story. Um, I think this is somewhere else in the script, but I'm not seeing it. It might be later, but basically just to, so just to set this up, the, the, the image that we described that was accompanying this story is it's a photo of a sculpture. Like this is literally what it is in real life. It's a photo of a sculpture done by a Japanese artist, which it's somewhere else in this episode where we name the artist. So I'll... I forget what the name is, but we'll get there eventually. Um, but it's a sculpture of by a Japanese artist. And it's just this is a photo that this artist took of the sculpture just in like a storage shed somewhere in their house or something. I don't know the exact origins of it, but it's just a photo of a sculpture that they, this artist took. And so basically, like, there's a couple of things about this story. The first thing is, is that it's this really interesting style of of internet storytelling that you know if you're familiar with sort of like reddit no sleep stories or a lot of these or, or scp itself or whatever you're familiar with this type of storytelling where you take an existing image and then you just utilize details of the image to create a story where you're sort of like you're using it as almost like an image prompt for a story and you and so the the story contains like it's it's basically taking all the details from this picture and then like recontextualizing them and utilizing them to tell a story so you have you know just the description of the creature itself of like what it is it's a statue that when you don't look at it it comes to life and will kill you but when you're looking at it it can't move they've taken the fact that it's just in this little storage shed thing and they've recontextualized that to be that it's in some kind of containment holding cell inside of an some kind of underground bunker and they've taken the fact that it just has normal windows because it, this is just some kind of shed or something like that. And they've even like rationalized that and said like, Oh, the reason why this is just in a, a room with just regular windows with no bars is because it's not actually strong enough to break glass. It, it, it it's not, it doesn't have strength. It just has like a, a grip. So if, if it can get its hands on you, then it can strangle you with its unbreakable grip, but it doesn't actually have strength to like break through walls or anything like that. And then they've taken the fact that the floor of this photo, there's just like this grimy covered in dirt and something. It's probably just a dirt floor of a, of an outdoor shed, but they've taken that and, 
and contextualizes it to be that it's just a, a an inch thick layer of shit. <laughs> I love it. I also love the mechanic, the like narrative mechanic of it has to be cleaned. Otherwise, the whole building will just become corroded in this blood and feces. So you have to go in there. It generates this stuff that necessitates people being in its immediate vicinity and it'll kill you when you're not looking at it. Like amazing. Yeah. You also don't, it also specifies you don't know where the blood and feces came from, which like insinuates that it's not from the creature. So it's like, where the fuck is this coming from? Is it like, is it going out and bringing things back and killing them and eating them? And then like, like it's just, it's just, it's, it's like a clay pot porous in the universe. You know, it's just like blood and feces, just like, collect through the multiverse to the place that this creature is it's fucking awesome i love it it's so cool and i and and the other thing about this as the first story if you're unfamiliar with scp or if you're just thinking back to like the beginnings of you discovering these stories is it's a storytelling mechanic that simultaneously is entertaining and eerie and creepy but also basically like self describes a format of storytelling that immediately gives you a sense of the possibilities of the medium, basically, where you read this one story and you're like, oh, I get it. I get it. There could be a million of these. It's just journal entries written by members of this organization. Each one of them describes a different creature. And it's like three paragraphs just like describing the the powers of some kind of weird paranormal creature done in this like cold calculating way as if somebody's just jotting down field notes. I get it. This this is this could last for a million years. This could be its own franchise. Like you read this one story and it it clicks with you. Like, "Oh." And and I think that's the genius of it. And the reason why as we'll get into the reason why this has been become such a big thing is because from the very first story, it immediately is both entertaining but also self-describes the possibilities of what this could be. From 309 words, we have the perfect launchpad for a sprawling fictional universe. It has mysterious black sites, unexplained code words, a shadowy organization keeping murderous statues in locked vaults, and the promise of at least 172 other items just as baffling. It's the perfect format to turn any orphaned horror concept into a complete creepypasta. All you need is a number, a description, and a containment procedure. Now, the modern SCP Foundation universe didn't spring from this post fully formed, like Athena from the Skull of Zeus. This was just a 4chan post, and before it could be anything else, it had to cook for a while. A number of users pointed out the similarity between the monster and the premise of the Doctor Who episode Blink. Some wondered how it could strangle people, given how short its arms were. And a few posted comments along the lines of, Your paper mache skills suck. But overall, response was positive enough that other writers started making related material. I, and I, I, I think that's interesting. I don't know how you, I don't know how familiar you are with the rebooted Doctor Who series. But when I first read this story, I immediately, my first thought was like, this is identical to the Weeping Angels in Doctor Who, which was a first in an episode called Blink. Um, and it's funny because Blink and the Weeping Angels are like it's one of the most popular episodes of the reboot Doctor Who series and the Weeping Angels are probably hands down the most popular cre- uh, creature or villain from the new Doctor Who series like easily as popular as the Daleks or the Cybermen were in the original show um but that episode Blink was actually one of the off episodes where 
essentially for every season of Doctor Who, they would shoot like four episodes that didn't have the Doctor in them so that they could be shooting two episodes simultaneously to just basically get, you know, efficiently do their production schedule. So this episode is an episode that doesn't have the Doctor in it, except for at the very end. He just has a cameo, essentially. And it's about a it's about a different character played by Carrie Mulligan pre her becoming a big actress when she was a, like younger, when her early 20s. And it's about her discovering these creatures that they're statues. And w- when you look at them, they can't move. They're just they're just statues. But if you look away from them, they will come at you with like light speed movement. And if they touch you, they send you 40 years back in the past without with no ability to come back. So essentially you die in the present and then you are forced to like live out the rest of your life in the past. Um, and my, my first thought when I read this is like, this is identical to the blink care, the, the weeping angels. So it's really fascinating that this whole, this whole like franchise or whatever you want to call it, which I would, as we get into this episode, I would describe this as being the strength of this, of this whole thing is how unique and creative it is. The fact that it's crowdsourced where a bunch of different people from all over the world are in charge of the canon by writing stories. It's not controlled by one person's mind. It's a centralized concept that's iterated out upon by millions of people. Maybe millions is exaggerating, but a lot of people. I would define it as being the the, the appeal of this being the creativity and the uniqueness of how every story can be like its own very unique thing. And the fact that it was all based on just somebody who blatantly ripped off a Doctor Who episode is really funny to me. Like the first episode was not creative at all. It was just a, it was a rip off. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the uh, the equivalent of, you know, the medium is the message mantra where it's like it's less the actual contents of TV or less the contents of a painting and more the idea of a painting that is so important. And in, in this, it's the idea of a short form narrative that is structured like a police report or military file that is centered on this otherworldly concept that that is so compelling to people. Yeah. And the the, the original person who created SCP numbers 173, they had a brilliant idea for a medium and then they just didn't like the, I mean, maybe, I don't know if they were creative in other aspects, but they just, they, they couldn't think of an original story. So they just stole an idea from Dr. Who. Yeah. But also like, that's what being creative is, right? Like Dr. Who steals episodes constantly. Like I was, you know, I forget what we were watching. We were watching one of the David Tennant episodes and it's uh the whole episode was just like, oh, what was the episode? It was he the doctor goes to a thing where somebody constructs a machine a doctor another doctor scientist constructs a machine where they're going to become immortal and they get into the machine but then something's wrong and they come out and they become a giant monster and it's basically just the first alien movie but set in a uh you know science museum where the doctor and his companion are running away from this giant creature that is a way evolved or fucked up evolutionary uh, person. But it's basically just alien. Like, you're just running around doing alien tropes, you know, that first alien movie. Um, And, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's recontextualized. It's moving stuff around. Is it terribly exciting or interesting? Eh, That one, that episode was fine. But, uh, you know, all this stuff is iterative. You got to start somewhere. I mean, fucking look at Star Wars. Star Wars is, it was literally trying to be bootleg Flash Gordon. George Lucas wanted the rights to Flash Gordon. He couldn't get it. 
He tried to get the rights to Bucker, uh, not Bucker Bonsai, uh, Buck Rogers, couldn't get it. So he's like, okay, I guess I'll make my own. And like, is that first movie all that different from Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers? Not really, no. <laughs> but it's but the idea is done so well that you don't care. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's definitely what's going on here. The first SCP story not written in the standard item entry format also appeared on this thread. A story about a group of enlisted men in the U.S. Air Force finding the statue during a training exercise. So this this is like basically like one of the first two or three SCP stories. But at this time, it was just a it was just a random post by some person in a 4chan thread. Um, not unlike how QAnon started. And so there wasn't a, an establishment of, of the format, like just because that one was written in that way, nobody had any idea of like, oh, this is just how these are going to be. So the I think this is this is the second SCP story, but it's not actually written in the format that we know as what SCP are, which I think makes SCP stories compelling. Um, and this this is that second that second story. USAF file C203-92B. Date, June 7th, 1952. Filed by Captain Harry Milan. Item found outside of Yuma, Arizona on March 24th. During regular training exercises, Corporal Brian Flynn and his squadron came across a strange statue in an empty installation set to be used for future bomb run training. The statue is approximately 7 feet tall and human in form. The arms and legs are disproportionate to the head and torso, resembling a fetus. Strange coloration was noted on the face of the statue, and it was posed against the inner walls of the building. Upon further inspection, Corporal Flynn noted that the statue is composed mostly of cement and is possibly reinforced by steel rebar. It is likely man-made. Further investigation of the surrounding area yielded no signs of transportation for the statue other than misshapen footprints. It is likely that the statue was placed there by locals looking to create a stir or possibly protest the war. Private Alan Benson took the supplied photograph to document the area in the event that an investigation to the security of the training area is to take place. Private Benson reported that he heard the sound of heavy scraping within the building shortly after he left. This prompted a search of the other rooms in case any civilians may have still been in the building but were undetected. The area was given an all-clear by the squad commander and the statue was left in the building. It was deemed necessary that on June 9th, a final morning inspection of the building will be conducted before it is demolished to make certain that no civilians have returned to the area to ensure that no lives are lost. Not not as compelling. It's basically just like an origin story for SCP-173. Yeah, and it's not even really it's not even really an origin story. It's just kind of like background supplemental exposition. Yeah, which is just like this is kind of like the they did it's like triangulating the format right where it's like you did the first thing and then you tried the second thing and it's like nah that wasn't the, that wasn't the direction this the, the the thing that was appealing about the first thing wasn't like delving into the monster and building it out the thing that was appealing about it was the cold calculated note taking about its weird and eerie abilities the second ever scp complete with its own number was posted to slash x on september 5th of 2007 it was designated scp 246 and was another killer statue item scp 246 special containment procedures item scp 246 is a living statue it is not hostile unless it feels threatened it seems that scp 246 does not approve of talking in any language more of this is currently being researched and will become mobile and attack anyone near when there is any speaking above a whisper 
in its range, usually by bludgeoning them to death with its strong arms. No personnel are to move SCP-246, as any attempt to do so will enrage it. Description: Moved to Site-19's garden area in 1999. Origin seems to be Greek, although further studies have noticed an archaic language not resembling Latin or Greek in various places. It seems to be constructed from concrete, although there are traces of unknown rock throughout the item's exterior. SCP-246 is animate, see SCP above, and it is extremely hostile when threatened. The object cannot move unless it is moved by a human interaction, or when speaking in front of it. The right side of the item's face seems to have been torn off as if it were hit by a large object, and a brown, unknown material reveals itself. If touched, the brown spot begins glowing bright red as if being heated through unknown causes, and will give any who touches it severe burns on the spot where touched. In the event of an attack, personnel are to observe Class 3 hazardous object containment procedures. Personnel report sounds of a woman moaning after midnight up until dawn. Some reports notice a woman talking or even singing, but as soon as the item comes into view, the sound will stop. This is considered normal, and any change to this behavior should be reported to the acting HMCL supervisor on duty. So these these three early stories are almost like registration marks for the the mold of what SCP is, because you have that first story that really resonated with people. And sometimes you don't quite know like why something resonated with people, and then that results in going down paths that just are kind of missing the point of what resonated with people. Like, for instance, Star Wars, as an example, with you talking about that earlier, the, the prequels were essentially like, yeah, what uh, what people liked about Star Wars was like the the dense political like drama of it. Right. That's what people liked about Star Wars. And then it was three movies of being like, no, that was not. Or even the even the Christmas special, you know, where it's like Star Wars, Fantasyland, kind of Dune. What if we did a Christmas special? OK. We'll have it be a fantasy Christmas special. We'll have stuff that's popular right now in the 70s. Singing, Be Arthur, Wookiee Life Day. No? No one likes this? All right. Sorry, guys. And as opposed to George Lucas, who spent like the rest of his fucking life actively pushing back against what was clearly the thing that people liked about Star Wars um, and almost being intentionally contrarian about it. Uh, the, the, these three stories are like a codex where it's like, here's the first story. It really resonated with people. Was it the, ex- was it like delving deeper into the like existence of the, of the creature? Was that the thing that people liked? No, that wasn't it. Was it the living statue aspect of it? Was it just people like weird, creepy living statues? Nah, not really. Okay. I get it now. In these three move in these three chefs moves, I now understand that the reason why this thing resonated is because it's like a set of field notes about some creature thing. And we're just brief about it. We don't go too deep into it. We just leave it a little bit vague, which makes it creepier. And it could be any kind of creature, not just a statue. And we know that in three chess moves from these three stories. But the thing that the thing that this third story is missing that the first one has is that it has the narrative mechanic of how future stories happen. You know what I mean? Like the thing that's so great about that last one is like there's a ticking clock. You have to clean it. You have to be in its vicinity. You have to clean it. So you got to be in there on a regular basis. You can't just leave it alone and let it do its thing. This story 
What's the narrative? It's in a garden and at night it sings, but it doesn't beckon to people. It'd be one thing if like, if you hear it singing, then you like humans are like compelled to go touch it. And if you touch it, all this bad shit happens. Like it's not, there's no, there's no internal logic for how it fits into stories. You know what I mean? That is concise and captured in two sentences. At this time, the SCPs drew a lot of comparisons to the at the time popular Holder's Creepypasta series, each of which describes one of a series of objects that will end the world if brought together, and the disturbing rituals required to take them from their guardians, Holders, if you will. Public opinion was that the overall quality of the Holder series was going downhill as more people were writing their own. The Holder series wore out its gimmick and collapsed into a series of instructions for how to do messed up stuff for an unclear reward. Today, it's immortalized as the SCP Foundations also ran. The SCP Foundation, at the time called the SCP Series, started to gain momentum in January of 2008, when someone posted an entry about a tetrahedron that hypnotizes people with whispers, designated SCP-86 on a number of different 4chan threads. Item SCP-086, Special Containment Procedures. Item SCP-086 is stored in heavily soundproof room, isolated from the rest of the facility by an airlock. As there is some leakage from SCP-86, the surrounding area is also cordoned off. Object is currently safe, provided no unprotected personnel enter the containment zone, so handling instructions are only provided for the possibility of security breach or if needed to move SCP-86. Unprotected personnel who enter the containment zone should be removed from the area as soon as possible. If they return or show signs of being compromised by SCP-86, they must be terminated. Warnings of these consequences must be displayed prominently around the containment zone. Description SCP-86 appears to be a regular tetrahedron approximately 25 centimeters on each side. It consistently emits sound, describing as whispers by survivors of its effects, though in no known language. These sounds are capable of a wide range of effects on humans, including the creation of psychosis or a mindless obedient state. Experiments to replicate its abilities by matching with generated frequencies, however, have failed. All personnel who work with SCP-86 should, manpower permitting, be completely deaf. They are also required to equip provided ear defenders and an anti-sound generator. Before entering SCP-86's chamber, a survivor should check that all agents are unable to hear sounds at approximately 140 decibels. The recommended method is to fire a blank behind them to watch for signs of surprise. Agents entering the chamber should work in a group of five or more and rehearse actions in separate dummy chamber. Any deviation from this trial run in the real chamber is to be treated as a sign of falling under SCP-86's control. And if they do not heed the signals to exit immediately, the agent should be terminated. Additional notes. Those with level 2 clearance or above should see document 86-1. Document 86-1, SCP-86, additional data. Anyone who has entered the containment zone should be watched very carefully. Our data reports that most people are drawn in by its whispers, and those that aren't may be already under the object's control and carrying out its will. The equipment provided to the grunts includes an explosive charge in the headset, set to trigger if they are the last one alive in the room. SCP-86 almost overwhelmed the lone deaf agent who prevented its escape the first time, so personnel cannot be trusted to be left alone with it. Object is capable of adapting to its whispers to act through bodily vibrations 
and can generate far stronger effects on a single target. The explosive charge will destroy the brain and hearing system when triggered. No other form of termination will ensure SCP-86 cannot control what is left behind. A couple things about this story. So first of all, like now we're cooking with gas. Like we, you know, this is where we've we're hitting a stride of like, okay, we're we're iterating on the format of that first story and we're creating just a new creature and we've realized that the appeal of it isn't just like, oh, this creature that can kill you or whatever. The appeal of it is an imaginative set of abilities and the like logical outcropping of what that would imply. And similar to like the Nightmare on Elm Street and the concept of like the fear of having no control over like how you're going to get killed because you have to go to sleep at some point. And so there's kind of no way of running away from Freddy Krueger. He'll get you eventually and then hang out with you if you're a little kid with glasses who like thinks of him as a weird hero. Welcome to prime time, Davey. This has got that appeal because it's like, oh, my God, like just like if he can if you can hear him or if you can hear this creature like it can control you. And there's and as long as you have like an ear canal, it can get you and there's nothing you can do about it unless you're completely deaf. That's a really fascinating and creepy concept. And it also the second thing about this is it also sets up it creates the runway for what eventually kind of becomes like a running joke of what the SCP stories are, which is that the SCP agents are just these like infinitely disposable pawns that are just like kind of chum for the containment of these creatures. And they regularly just die all the time. And there's all these protocols put in place for like, if you do this, we're going to fucking kill you to make sure that you can't like harm anybody else. If you do this, we're going to kill you. So you can't let the creature out. If you do this, you're going to get killed. You have to go do this. And if you do it wrong, you're going to get killed. And so the agents are just constantly dying. This sparked a chain reaction as users creating their own SCPs led to increased visibility on Slash X, which led to more people writing SCPs and eventually dedicated SCP threads. Users made seven new SCP threads from January 17th to January 19th. Posts at the time show many users commenting that the main appeal of the SCPs was the detached, scientific approach to the supernatural. The term military got used a lot to describe the style. We can see early signs of the direction the SCP Foundation would take in the future here, as users expressed a desire for more non-statue SCPs and for authors to focus less on an SCP's lethality and more on its containment procedures. These early days would cement the form and style of SCP entries for the coming years, but the significance of all of that pales in comparison to what happened on January 19th, the creation of the first SCP Wiki. Two, everything important has a wiki. This is a passive-aggressive note to the Deep Cuts listeners. On 4chan, the SCP series was a collection of related creepypastas. With the creation of the SCP wiki, it became a community. Before, SCPs were posted on 4chan, where they had to share space with everything else users wanted, and went over people who hadn't come to the website for them. Focused in one place, the mostly anonymous users of the new wiki could find SCPs quickly, talk to interested people, and post their work for a ready-made audience. Three things not guaranteed on highly transient 4chan threads. In addition, there was now no character limit on article size. The SCP community now had a central focus and a place to direct new fans. 
Rather than having to hunt through slash X threads and reposted compilations of SCPs, you could go directly to the SCP wiki and read whichever one you wanted. Users could edit pages on the wiki, which solidified the SCP writing style, especially once a wiki user who went by Lofir created the first SCP writing guides, codifying format and setting concepts that had circulated on Slash X in 2007 and 2008. Combined with helping move many of the original 4chan posts to the wiki, this meant Loftwire, who was only active on the wiki for less than a month, fundamentally set procedure for all the years to come. Another step towards a foundation. This is, this is an archive of the first SCP wiki page which, as we'll get to in a second, is not the one that still runs today. Um, and there's not anything to look at here, because this, this is a dead website, and it's just archived on the Wayback Machine, and there's not really anything to click around. But it, just just to pull it up to show that, like, this is just a very basic, straightforward wiki. It looks like a Wikipedia page. There is a, a table of contents, and then there's just a series of links to every individual SCP story in chronological order. It's the number of the, of the SCP and then the name of the story. And you click on it and it takes you to the story. It's just, that's what it is. It's very bare bones and it looks like a basically a Wikipedia page. But the interesting thing here is we have on this Wikipedia page or on this wiki site, it got up to number 1948, but there, but there are missing ones in between. So it's not, it's not one to 1948. But that's the the highest that we got here. There looks to be like a couple hundred stories, basically. So definitely not almost 2,000, just a couple hundred. And then the, the interesting thing is that all these numbered SCPs, and then there's SCP-1, and it has a note here that says locked until someone makes one worthy of the title of SCP-1. So basically, in these early stages... There was just there was no SCP-1, and that that entry in the wiki was locked by the admin. And nobody was allowed to add it because you could essentially come in here and make a make a SCP for any of the numbers. And as long as it wasn't taken, you could write the, the, the SCP and it would just become the canon, the canonized numbered SCP, no matter what. And the only way that it could be taken down or changed is if everybody voted that they didn't like it and it wasn't good enough and it needed to be replaced. But the but number one, you, you, there was literally no way to add it. It just it just set as like a redacted part of the wiki where you couldn't actually add one. Yeah. So this this is the original writing guide for SCPs that was put onto this wiki, um, and these are written by the user Loftwire, who was kind of just a random person who just took it upon themselves to write this. And because it was kind of at the ground floor of this whole thing, it just kind of became accepted as the Bible for SCPs. Keep it clinical, detached, and orderly. This is a report, so keep to the format. Computer logs are an okay deviation, but try not to do anything else. Don't forget to check your spelling. Try to find a picture for them too, where possible. Granted, not all of them can have pictures, but some would benefit from them. They don't all have to be a Site-19. SCP-200, for example, is somewhere in Outback, Australia. Get some foreign ones going. Don't go overboard on the containment procedures. Hideous drains on resources without a corresponding threat is poor, so don't overdo it. Every part of the procedure must have a reason behind it. If you need to remove a few words, for example, names, places, dates, Use the Unicode character, blah, 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 which is essentially just a black box, like redacted material. If you need to cut out substantial sections, write data expunged. Be vague. If you explain something, people will say, oh, I can handle that. But if you don't, people will imagine the things they can't handle. And that is true horror. Err on the side of vagueness. Avoid the first person voice. Do not write dramatically. These are statements of fact, nothing more. 
Also keep in mind, the secret underground shadow government doesn't resort to typing with the caps lock on when they want to emphasize something that must be done at all costs. Expressions such as approximately 57.23545445 centimeters appear foolish. Also, there's no need to go to nanometers when you're writing an executive summary. Use SI. That's what you use in research reports. Miles, pounds, etc. Maybe included in parentheses if deemed necessary. Take a look at the SCP object classes and assign an appropriate class to your object. And we'll talk about object, object classes later. It's funny because that, that writing guide basically just it, ex- it canonizes all of the stuff we were talking about as the appeal of the stories before. Like everything we discussed is like what made these first couple stories good or bad ends up becoming the writing style for how to write these in a very direct way. So it's kind of funny that like no matter who you are, you read these and you kind of get what is good and bad about them. It's funny, too, because it's not really like a style guide and more just kind of like basic tips. You know, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, maybe uh, spell check that shit, huh? Huh? Could you just uh maybe uh, like uh, use the use the spell check function huh well you can you can tell that that's that's a uh, that that part is added in there as a as a result of frustration we're just like we're just like just fucking like you don't have to even know how to spell there's a spell check just do use that it's not that rocket science Wiki users and the site's loan administrator established many of the central ideas of the Foundation around this time, such as d-class personnel being disposable anomaly fodder executed after a month of service there being no official entry for SCP-1 and all articles measuring things in SI units to give a sense of verisimilitude to the reports. They also created a section for joke SCPs, which included Trent Reznor, contained for his ability to make an anomalous high number of hit songs, and supernaturally addictive beef jerky in a replenishing bag, the administrator's only posted SCP. SCP-919, Object Class, Safe. Special Containment Procedures. 919 is kept in a soundproof room at all times, unless it requests otherwise. He is to be provided with any and all musical instruments, everyday commodities, and assistance he requires. Description. Item 919 appears to be an exceptionally attractive human male between 40 and 50 years old. His native language, evidently, music. 919 is apparently able to compose songs which will reach number one at will. The item is contained mainly for research, but also for relaxation and entertainment purposes, seeing how it is music that clearly has a positive effect on the listeners and 919 often wants to play for a live audience. Note, it is ill-advised to speak positively of recording contracts in the immediate vicinity of SCP-919. So uh, that's that's an example of the of the of the Mel Brooks's of the SCP community. Wow, so hilarious. The administrator who created the first wiki left the site towards the end of January 2008, and suddenly the wiki found itself leaderless. With an expanding membership and no one capable of deleting entries, quality went down quickly. One user commented that the SCP entries were one-third weapons that instill bloodlust, one-third creatures that hate humanity, and one-third objects that can destroy all life on Earth. This early part of 2008 also marked the appearance of one of the most popular SCPs, SCP-682, the hard-to-destroy reptile and the first attempts to choose an entry for SCP-1. Without an active site administrator to undo the edit lock placed on the one page, this context went nowhere. But it is interesting to note that a lot of the proposals involved Nikola Tesla. Increasing numbers of SCPs, lack of any users with administrative permissions, and a move by their wiki service to a paid model led SCP-Wiki user Fritz Willy to plan the creation of a new SCP site. 
Giving up on the Edit This Wiki platform, they began moving articles to a site on the Wiki.dot system. Fritz Willy thought that users might be unwilling to accept some random person creating a new, quote, official SCP wiki, so they created an alt account on the Edit This Wiki named The Administrator, feigned authority, and announced the creation of the new site in late July. Support was overwhelming, and the Edit This Wiki was deleted on September 3rd. It lasted less than a year. The, the, the wiki shuffle part of this is not particularly interesting, um, although I, I find it kind of funny that somebody just like, number one, that like the admin just like abandoned the site, but like didn't give anyone else admin privileges. So the site was just locked. It was just this weird dead chicken with its head cut off running around where it still functioned and had a community, but it's just like the, the functionality of the site was just ended by an, by the admin leaving and not giving anybody else the ability to change or do anything. And it's kind of funny that somebody land grabbed it by just being like, I'm the administrator and we're starting a new page. The funny thing about it to me, too, is like I'm I'm super curious about the guy who wrote the original SCP or the person who wrote the original SCP. Like what what do they think of this? Like, do they did they check back in and we're like, oh, wow, this is way out of control. These people are crazy. Or did they check back in and we're like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Look what that one post I made spawned. Or did they just never encounter it again in the in their Internet travels yeah it's it's really it's really interesting and this was talked about I, this was talked about at some point it might have been during the slender man episode it might have been during the q series i don't remember which thing it was but it was discussed this idea of like with any kind of like internet meme or any kind of like internet lore or creepypastas or whatever it's almost like a, a prerequisite requirement that like the original authorship of the thing has to be kind of like lost in the ether like in order for it to be successful, the the individual who like created it has to be sanitized from the mythology of it. And it almost like can't reach that critical mass if it's attached to a creative force. Like something about the idea of like, oh, Slenderman was created by Arthur Livingston, <laughs> like just makes it where it just can't do well. But if it just if it just like becomes this like random thing that just exists for some reason that really resonates with people. So it's interesting. This was created by somebody making this post and then it was taken and turned into a thing by just a separate set of people. It wasn't like that original person being like, Oh, people really liked this. I'm going to like create a wiki page for it and started it as a thing. It was just like taken from them and turned into a thing by a whole other set of people. And yeah, it's, it's like, was that person involved in the community? Or did they just like check back in one day months later and just like, oh, shit, like this became like a hugely popular thing. What the fuck? Yeah, it really you're I'm very curious about what that person's real life is and what they do and what they think about all of this. Yeah, the the close. Yeah, it's really it's really it would be very surreal. The closest thing that I can like relate to that in uh, reading Andrew's journals that he left to me was when he just like one day randomly discovered that this song he had made in high school was put onto an official Super Mario RPG album. Like, what the fuck? It's it's surreal. Yeah, I remember I remember when he found out about that and he called me about it and he was like, what the fuck? An official Mario release has a song that I wrote in high school? What the fuck is this? And then uh and then he went in the other room and and he started eating Mario themed cupcakes. Yeah, yeah, that, that that there's a there's a whole chapter about that in the, in the journals. 
They they were good cupcakes. I I I take it. But the other thing, but the other thing about this is like there's a dichotomy or a binary to the entire theme of this episode right here, where I think the fascinating thing that we'll talk about as the episode goes on and gets further in is the idea that it's a really interesting concept to crowdsource a mythology like this, which is not, it's a much larger scale version of this idea of a singular author creating a universe and then like building and iterating upon it, or even like a show where a singular author sort of creates a concept and then has a team of writers that all contribute to building the universe. But even when it's a team of writers, it's still sort of centralized under an authorial voice where it's like, I'm the showrunner and I'm kind of directing where we go with this. And it's sort of, it's it's driven by a singular force delegating pieces of that world building to other people. As opposed to this like truly decentralized form of world building where you have this modular storytelling medium where as long as people are plugging in everything in the right format, this thing can just replicate itself infinitely with as many people contribute to it as possible. And almost kind of like Alan Moore's idea of how to build the Twilight of the Superheroes crossover, where the individual comic artist and writer's level of enthusiasm for participating in the crossover actively contributed to the world building of the story, where it's like, if people wanted to be involved in the crossover, then they then they would do so in their books, and then that would be incorporated into the story. But if people didn't want to participate in the crossover and just ignored it, that would actively be woven into the narrative of the story to the point where it's like, oh, those pe- those are the people who just ignored Constantine whenever he warned them. Almost in that way, anybody can just write stories, and they don't and – le- and as long as they follow the format – None of them can contradict each other. None of them can affect the narrative negatively. They can only build onto the story. And I think that's like, that's the big overarching theme of that I want to talk about in this. But on the flip side of it, it also provides a tremendous risk to the quality control of the mythology to the point where as more and more people start writing stories and it becomes more and more popular, you're inevitably going to get a lot of shitty ones. And if you reach a critical mass of those shitty ones, then it kind of like ruins the whole thing as a whole. Yeah, because there's no there's no like brand management. So you're never going to have anybody that's like going to make something that uh, almost kind of works as an exemplar. There's no there's no standard bearer for the SCP yet. It's all just like everything has to kind of you're just hoping that everything is a good quality and it pulls in more people who want to participate, but it doesn't supersede the thing as a whole, you know, where the uh, downside of that is uh, the more people that write, the less the quality control, the less the median quality dips, the fewer people are going to be involved, the fewer people are going to write, and then you're going to only have those people who maybe don't have the skill or or talent to make exciting fiction. Yeah, and I, th- I think that that's like... That's the inherent flaw with all crowdsourced things is it always reaches a critical mass of too many bad actors came into this and they flooded and oversaturated this ecosystem with bad stuff that overall made it not consistently good enough to where you as a consumer reasonably could assume that if you invested time in this, you were going to get a satisfying result. 
to the point where you start to have a negative opinion of the thing overall. Like I think I think that that's like that's true of this or the risk that this runs of 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 happening to it. And it's also true of like Kickstarter, for example. Not even talking about stories or world building, but in the early days of Kickstarter, everything on Kickstarter was a cool thing. It was like it was like a treasure trove of really interesting cool things that you could potentially help to make happen by donating money to it. And then as it started getting popular, as like fucking Zach Braff crowdfunded his movie halfway on it, around that time, it got to this critical mass of to the point where it's like Kickstarter is just a lot of bullshit. And like every once in a while, there's a cool thing on there. And it's usually like friends and people that you know and trusted creators that you already are a fan of that put out projects that resonate with you. And then everything else is just noise as opposed to like in 2013, 2014, where like I wanted to back everything I saw on Kickstarter. It was just it was like this fucking cool thing that was like, oh, my God, there's so many cool things that like wouldn't have been made otherwise because they're too niche. But like I could help get them made. And I I think that's like the inherent flaw with crowdsourcing in general. Hey everybody, this is Hollow Andrew. That's why my voice sounds weird. It's not because it's 3 in the morning and Spandrew doesn't have a microphone, and so he's using some creepy AI technology to generate his own voice. This SCP saga is really interesting because we here at the Mystery Treehouse also have a special containment unit for supernatural creatures we come across on our adventures. In fact, we need somebody to start cataloging these paranormal oddities so we can finally be able to write them off on our taxes. Maybe that somebody could be Write your own three-paragraph entry into the Mystery Treehouse Extra-Dimensional Oddity Catalog, and we'll read and react to the best ones in Part 2 of the SCP series. Your entry just needs an item number, the oddity's containment procedure, a description of the oddity, and anything else you want to add. Email your story to andrew at boygeniusmedia.com. Act 3, The New Normal. The wiki.site had a number of advantages over Edit This, like active administrators. Thanks to the new administrator's forethought, it even had multiple moderators. It also had comments, forums, more page customization, and a voting system for articles. These features increased contact between users who had been editing the previous wiki without talking to each other. The best way to explain the shift in group dynamic is that while the Edit This Wiki referred to the SCP series on its front page, the wiki.page page featured in big letters the SCP organization, one step closer to a foundation. The site was also one step closer to kayfabe. The first wiki explicitly referred to itself as a collection and a wiki for the SCP series of Creepypasta on its main page, and the site's logo was a silhouette of self-explanatory SCP-529, Josie the Half-Cat, rather than a logo for the still-nebulous organization that wrote the articles in story. The wiki.page, on the other hand, introduced itself as the website of the organization, with the mission statement, to find, contain, and protect. The text below that has information about writing SCPs in the community, but the new website also featured an about page written entirely from the perspective of a member of the SCP organization. This time also marked the creation of an admin-only discussion site, a page for groups of interest, and the creation of the SCP logo. All of these would be important in their own ways. Shortly after the site's creation, its title was changed to the SCP Foundation. This is the form it takes to this day. The admin site was another step towards a formalization of custom and procedure. Called the SCP Admin Court of Counsel, it was where the administration formalized object classes, chose new administrators, and handled site emergencies. 
Formalizing object classes was just a question of notation, and SCP was either safe, totally contained, Euclid, contained but unpredictable, or Keter, not fully contained. Groups of interest referred to other organizations that existed in the same universe as the SCP Foundation. Some of these appeared in different SCP articles before the creation of the Groups of Interest page on the wiki, but the GOI page cemented them as part of the burgeoning SCP canon. These included organizations that made SCPs and rival paranormal investigation agencies. Here are a few of the most prominent ones. So the first one we got is the Serpent's Hand. Which is a dope fucking name. It's a kind of anomaly liberation front. They want to end the facade of the paranormal not existing, releasing anomalies into the world, and deal with the dangerous ones on a case-by-case basis. Sometimes portrayed as irresponsibly letting dangerous magic run rampant among the general population, popular enough to get a spinoff wiki called the Wanderer's Library, themed around their headquarters and full of universal knowledge. So t- take a look at this uh, this logo, which actually is cut off. The, the little bottom part of this is supposed to be like the a face of a snake and it's got a tongue sticking out, but that got cut off. Well, I, uh, I'm way into it. Um, I like how simple it is, but I also like the religious connotation of the burning bush and the hand that is being formed out of the many tails of the snake. And, uh, yeah, I'm all here for the serpent's hand. I love, I love any sort of like mysterious organization that has a name, that has that things like that can't happen in reality or that aren't uh real like you know uh black science as opposed to black magic or um uh the ears of the mountain or you know whatever i don't know the village people the village people yes because a a construction worker and a native american would never hang out like it's just it's just it's unreal yeah. Well, there's the real, real, the real unreality of it is that one of that all of these people from lower classes are friends with a fucking cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, the only reason why I didn't say that was because I forgot what all the different village people were. I could only remember the construction worker and the Native American. I completely forgot that there, there was a cop. Uh, but yeah, the, the logo is quite ingenious, actually. Um, it is a... A, a bush, which, or you could say it's a tree, but I think, it, you know, I think it's definitely representing the, the burning bush, the biblical burning bush, but the, like the roots, the little, the little roots, uh, the branches that make up the bush that the leaves are attached to and the stem of the bush make up like a hand. And then the end of the stem of the bush slash the end of the hand is a snake's head. Very, very clever, uh, creative logo design. Um, the next one we have is the Church of the Broken God, which is an anomaly creating tech religion trying to rebuild their god. One of the oldest groups of interest on the site, dating back to the original wiki, its theology got more complicated as SCP Foundation writing expanded with three distinct branches, the Broken Church, old school, the Cogwork Orthodox Church, industrial, and the Church of Maxwellism, cyber stuff, an endonym, mechanism, and a religious war with the flesh-shaping Sarkic cults. Depending on the writer, the Church of the Broken God is either going to wipe out humanity in its attempt to rebuild their god or a normal religion that happens to use tech magic. And these are the logos here. What do you think about these? These are cool, but they're not as cool. Yeah, it's three It's three logos, one for the Broken Church, one for the Cogwork Orthodox Church, and one for the Church of Maxwellism. I like the Maxwellism one the most. Um, actually, I, you know, I like, the, I like the first one too. I like, the, I like the, both of them. Um, but there's just something about like the fact that the other one is hand drawn and like looks almost kind of like 
It does look like an evil organization's logo, but it also looks like a magic sigil, which is just, it makes it creepier and cooler and more like a found object from the world. Yeah, as opposed to these, which were kind of put together in Illustrator. Then there's the fifth church. This one's very simple. Imagine if the ideas in the self-help book, The Secret, were fully true. Now imagine a cult is using the secret to mold the universe to fit a conception of the promised land, which appeals to no one but themselves. It involves the end of free will. And then, uh, interestingly, the logo for the fifth church is almost kind of like an eye that is closed. So it's almost kind of like the opposite of the third eye or the idea of the mind's eye. It's like the third eye is closed, which I think is the idea of determinism, that you aren't in control of your own destiny or reality. And then this eye shape is is surrounded by five points. It's like an up to, upside down star, I guess. I like this because I can see this uh, almost like emblazoned on like the shoulders of GIs. You know, this whole thing kind of has like a military porn aesthetic. And I can totally see this cult having that logo on like SWAT helmets and, uh, you know, and uh, shoulder patches um, where the other ones, they could be that, but they don't look like they'd be perfectly made for it where this one really does, especially with the five pointed star. Yeah, it's all it's like a fascistic um, design that, like you said, would would you could you could see on some kind of armband. Then there's the Global Occult Coalition. Soldiers and warlocks in a United Nations associated anti supernatural task force originally formed to fight the Thule Society and the Aninerbi in World War II. Not the most popular group of interest, they're generally portrayed as the book burners, jackbooted thugs who mindlessly destroy anything they can't explain and lack both the SCP Foundation's caution and the Serpent's Hand's empathy, or either's desire to understand the unknown. More sympathetic portrayals make them the SCP Foundation's action hero counterparts, killing dangerous people, blowing up doomsday artifacts, not worrying about the safe anomalies, and never letting dark gods eat people in the name of understanding their digestion. And then this is the logo for it. Um, But yeah, this is, yeah, it's like a government-looking insignia. It's kind of cool because it's like, it's kind of creepy because it's like a, it looks like a government logo, but then it's got this like pentagram style star shaped design in the middle, which makes it like more occult like. And their uh, their their little creed is destruction, protection, containment, survival, endurance or uh, no ed- education, education, um, education, destruction, protection, concealment uh, and survival. Uh, which doesn't seem as locked in as the SCP Foundation's whole. What is it? It's secure, contain, and protect. That that sounds five too many. Three really good. It's this one's a little busy. The logo and the slogan. It's just it's a lot. And then the last one was the Office for the Reclamation of Islamic Artifacts. Uh, not actually one of the most prominent groups of interest. This is here because of how it came to be. Oriya, as it's called, was not originally uh, Oriya. In the early days of the SCP Wiki, it was a fictionalized version of the very real Islamic Revolutionary Guard, an Iranian paramilitary organization created after the 1979 revolution to protect the political system and government of the Islamic Republic of Iran from coups or external influence. In that early form of the SCP Foundation universe, it also dabbled in relic hunting. Due to concerns about the implications of using a real organization as paranormal investigators in SCP fiction, it morphed into Oriya in 2012. Oriya is a convert organization subordinate only to the supreme leader of Iran. It employs the great greater Islamic world's top authorities on the paranormal, 
dedicated to finding new anomalous items and using them to further the defense of Muslim nations from North Africa to Central Asia. This is the logo for it. And I think the significance of this really is, um, I think this is a good time to talk about the fact that the SCP as a thing was sort of created in, it was created in 2007, I believe. So this whole thing was sort of like created in the early 2000s. And it was created in sort of within the vacuum of a very um, recently post 9-11 world where a lot of the military aspect of SCP is very much inspired by a post 9-11 narrative. And I think that um, though they made efforts to like change this and backtrack on it later on, they, you know, they changed this in 2012. And I don't think it's really a big focus of the canon anymore at all. Um, I think this was very clearly sort of inspired by a, a post 9-11 world. And, you know, some of us may have forgotten, but at this time in the early 2000s and, you know, for years afterward, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like American culture was very obsessively and toxically obsessed with um, not just an anti-Muslim sentiment, but anti-Muslim depictions in pop culture. You know, you had you go to shooting ranges where the target practice would be like drawings of like terrorists with turbans on and shit. Country songs talking about kicking the asses of people in turban. Like there was just a lot of like depictions of terrorists, which were these, you know, obviously very racist depictions of not even actually Muslims all the time, but things that were confused with Muslims. Um, and I think this was probably a part of that where they had this included sort of like almost terrorist organization within the canon of SCP, which did not make the cut in like a post 2010 version of the of the canon, you know, I think in rightly and to to a good effect. Yeah, I think the term you're looking for is wildly rampant Islamophobia. Yeah. And, the, and this was sort of this was sort of sanitized out of the canon as later on people were like, oh, let's let's calm down a little bit on this like on this uh, Islamophobia stuff. But even so, even like, I mean, yes, it is, but it's still like the structure of everything is so rooted in a fascistic, which is uh, fascism is appealing. I get it. Um, but it's rooted in a, in a fascistic approach to, to, to the other, right? The, in, uh, the other is inherently dangerous. It needs to be cataloged, understood, and eradicated. And the only people that can do that are stern men of a certain height wielding uh, Glocks and AK-47s and wearing gas masks and combat drilling their way through the unknown. Yeah, and it's a it's a power fantasy about that, that there are all these unknown dangers that exist within our world, um, you know, not unlike the, the looming threat of terrorism that a lot of people were sort of grappling with at the time, this just vague concept of terrorism that, like, wasn't the domestic terrorism, which is actually high key, a way bigger problem in our country, like people from within the United States who commit acts of domestic terrorism versus this idea of like foreign terrorists, which like, you know, 9-11 was bad, but there, there, there's just, there's been a much wider scale of, of acts of domestic terrorism within our country versus like people. It's, it's, it's incredibly rare that foreign actors have come into our country and done things to us. Um, but this looming th vague threat of terrorism 
it's it's paranoia. It's like, oh shit, we could just be attacked by these things we don't understand at any time, and there's nothing we can do about it, and we won't know until it happens. And 9-11, like nobody saw that coming and stuff. And then the SCP is very literally like, there's a bunch of guys who are secretly like they know and they're stopping these evil forces from coming in and killing us all. It's like it's a it's a power fantasy of that filtered through a like science fiction lens. Yeah. And but even the but even the even the way that it's approached of this like faux tactical police report, you know, black ops breakdown of what we're seeing like it's it's not about the empathy or connection that we as humans are trying to build with the other. And of course, the other is always metaphorically representative of what our culture fears in other people. You know, um, it's uh, it's a how do we fucking keep them shits away from us? And how do we fucking kill them if they get close to us? Which which, again, very fascistic, but also it's fucking cool. I get why people like it. And frankly, I'm, I'm into it. I'm here for it. I love I love military sciencey, you know, science punk, military punk, you know, uh, uh, versions of established narrative tropes. It's It's fun to see those things grounded in a plausible way. I totally get why this became so widespread and and uh, why so many people wanted to actively be involved in it. Yeah, and as we as we as we're going to get into in this episode later on, whenever the narrative or the canon started deviating away from that, people didn't like it. It was became less appealing when it started to, as we'll talk about later, veer into being more of like a superhero narrative. People were not into that. They wanted the cold, militaristic um, version of SCP. And when it started to like, when the people who were writing the story started to veer away from that, it it had a little bit of a slump, which we'll, we'll which we'll talk about. But right now we have finally the actual SCP logo, the logo that was designed that just became the official logo for the SCP. Um, so the SCP Foundation logo was originally created by a user named Far Two in October of 2008 as one of the many users' attempts. The modern SCP logo is slightly evolved from the now-lost original form, but it is said to retain the basic elements. In magical terms, the SCP Foundation has a rune. It's distinctive and instantly recognizable, but it still evokes familiar symbols like the sign for biohazard and radiation. It feels technical. It's something unique that you can still imagine slapping on a warning label, which is essential to the SCB Foundation kayfabe. Everything used by the Foundation has to feel like it's actually used by a real organization, while still drawing the reader in with something familiar and alien. The SCP logo is that in microcosm. Um, and so so this is the logo here, Dave. What, what do you think about this? Uh, it's interesting to me because we just had this little side discussion about, you know, um, how the how the the game of the SCP Foundation is all about weeding out the other among us, dehumanizing them, cordoning them off, and uh, <laughs> killing them if necessary. And the logo is a circle with lines pointing to the center in it, like almost a, we've found, we've found, we have pinpointed the area that needs to be excised, you know, um, like you said, it, it kind of has a biohazard feel or a nuclear radiation facility logo look to it. Um, but it also has a, a slightly magical connotation. Um, but to me, more of the, the enemy within uh, visual metaphor is both very fascinating and also that's this is what's scary to me, not the horror stories. Like that stuff I actually really like. But this 
kind of uh, thousands and thousands of people organizing themselves around a pseudo-fascistic doctrine to play at hating the them that is in our midst is very disturbing to me. And the logo, it has the dual visual meaning of look as you said look having this visual metaphor of like we've pinpointed the enemy within the within our gates within our realm but also it literally looks very similar to like a crosshair like a like a gun, gun sights so this this dual meaning of like it looks like a literal crosshair and also it has this visual representation of like we've located the enemy that walks among us Another notable product of the early days of the Wikidot page was the first successful attempts at writing SCP-1. According to policy, there is no official SCP-1, but people still give it a shot from time to time. The two from this time that have survived to the modern wiki are called the Sheaf of Papers and the Prototype. So there, these are two attempts at an SCP-1. While they are not, while neither of them are the canon SCP-1, because there is no established canon SCP-1 to this day. It has become this white whale where everybody tries to write one, and they're within that, within the uh, within the ecosystem of attempts at SCP-1. There are stories that, while not canon, have been adopted as like favorites of this iterative attempt at making an SCP-1. So it's almost like a canon within a canon of like there's all there's this short list of favorites favorite attempts at making this. These are the two of them. They they both have very different attempts at what an SCP-1 will be. The first one attempts to make it this like very like canonizing, self-establishing introduction to the 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 concept of SCP, and the second one basically rejects the idea that SCP-1 would be significant, and it's just kind of a run-of-the-mill but well-written SCP story. So this first one is called the Sheaf of Papers. Item number SCP-001, Object Class, Keter. Special Containment Procedures. To date, no adequate containment procedure has been developed to deal with the possible threat posed by SCP-001. This is due in part to the controversial nature of the item and debates concerning the necessity of its containment. The controversy is reflected in the item's changing object class and the procedures utilized in its containment. The current administration, despite charges of paranoia, has classed the object Keter, while requesting permission for a higher object class to be created and applied uniquely to this item, considering it to be the most dangerous of all known possible items. The reason for this classification and the changing attitudes towards SCP-001 are dealt within the description and notes. At present, SCP-001 is located in a code-locked briefcase made of high-tensile reinforced polymer. The room and the briefcase are monitored at all times by security cameras. The briefcase cannot be opened without unanimous special clearance from all current 05 officers. The briefcase itself is stored in a small, fully lit, single-room off-site building erected in blank, blank, blank. Class D personnel are posted to guard the building, but not enter without the aforementioned agreement from the 05 officers. Under threat of immediate termination, the off-site building exists for the sole purpose of housing SCP-001 and is wired for detonation in an emergency. It is the opinion of the current administration that SCP-001 represents the greatest threat to national and global security known to exist. Nevertheless, due to the special circumstances and regarding its mode of function, 
Further research on the item is disallowed, despite its promotion in the past when SCP-001 was contained in minimum security conditions. Description. SCP-001 is a simple sheaf of papers stapled together in the top left corner. The top sheet is a covering sheet simply reading confidential report on special items classified. The number of subsequent pages stapled to this covering sheet is indeterminate and have ranged from three to 30. The report is unsigned and its origin is unknown. The first appearance of the report was on Redacted, redacted, redacted. When it appeared on the desk of redacted, redacted, in parentheses, deceased. The report at the time described the living room, SCP-002. Shortly after reading the report with incredulity, redacted, redacted, was contacted by phone regarding said item. The next time redacted pursued SCP-001, it described not the living room, but biological motherboard, SCP-003. Redacted, redacted, immediately closed SCP-001, thinking it was a different report, and searched for the original port on 002. Not finding it, he again opened SCP-001, but this time it described not 003, but the rusty 12 keys in the door, SCP-004. Redacted, redacted, closed the report once more and opened it immediately to read of Skeleton Key, SCP-005. It is not known what the next actions of Redacted Redacted might have been. At varying times following this incident, the aforementioned items were discovered. Insufficient research exists concerning the correlation between SCP-001 and all other known items. However, it has been established that every event regarding the discovery of a new SCP item has followed a report on that same item appearing beneath the cover sheet of SCP-001. The current administration regards this coincidence as proof of causal connection. Additional notes. Whether SCP-001 is to be granted as an advanced warning system, or whether SCP-001 itself is to be regarded as the creator of items requiring special containment remains to be seen. However, the distinction is unimportant in the eyes of the current administration. The fact remains, no new SCP items appear unless SCP-001 is opened and read. It is for this reason that the current administration refuses to repeat the mistakes of the past mistakes that have resulted in over 1,000 SCP items coming to the knowledge of the SCP unit. Arguments concerning the non-lethality of SCP-001 itself, its theoretical beneficial use as an SCP warning system, or its use as a progenitor of advanced biological and non-biological weapons have not swayed the current administration nor have arguments criticizing the extreme containment procedures employed in respect to an item that displays no nefarious qualities and is not animate as such. Critics are reminded that these procedures are intended not to contain the item itself, but to isolate it from human interaction, which is to be regarded as the true threat. Although the current administration refuses to remove the object from isolation, barring special authorization, as noted above, past administrations have counseled daily with the item and future administrations will no doubt counsel similar behavior. Nevertheless, it is the opinion of the current administration that, barring destruction of SCP-001, it is to be contained until such a time when responsibility for its containment falls upon future administrations. All right, so let's let's read this second one before we talk about these a little bit. Um, I have some things to say about that, but and I want to ask your thoughts on it, but let's read the second one first. It's called the prototype. Item designation number 86243AR001. Warning. 
Item displays aggressive and dangerous behavior. Description of item. Six foot five inches tall, 97 pounds. Average varies by five to 10 pounds, higher or lower. Unknown age, gray brown skin, maybe bruising. Eye color, milky blue, no hair. Emaciated appearance, bone and muscle structure, unlike any recorded species. Legs are long and thin, ending in sharp black points. Three fingers per hand, also ending in black points. Legs and arms are twice as long as torso. No reproductive organs, anal orifice, ears, nose, or pores anywhere on the body. Head is spherical, very large in proportion to body. Neck appears too thin to support head. Mouth extends halfway around head, no lips. 21 teeth spaced randomly around mouth. Many appear broken, rotten, or chipped. Eye is a large black ball, milky blue sphere, presumably kept in the head or throat, appears to roll into the mouth when mouth is open, has no pupil or iris. Detail of current containment. Room is lead-lined and kept lit with floodlights. Temperature is kept at 98 degrees with 100% humidity. Room is sealed with reinforced steel blast door. Outer area patrolled by guards with high-powered strobes. Anyone entering the containment room should carry the strobe and wear field goggles. Any person attempting to remove the item or enter without authorization will be shot on sight. Report. Recovered in Guatemala earlier this week, first reported as a quote-unquote demon seen by several boys on a rural road, appeared to be sick or injured. Boys reported seeing the creature panting and jerking its legs. Creature then raised its head and exposed its eye. Boys ran home, reporting to local law enforcement. Several reports of horrible roaring or shrieks from locals over several days. 12 people admitted to local hospital with severe radiation poisoning, and seven reported missing. Recovery team assembled, headed by General Machoy, and dispatched from base ADRX-19. Reports to overseers from recovery team after standard containment failed led to additional containment protocols developed by Dr. Herman Keeter. Dr. Keeter was unfortunately killed in initial testing, after which Creature was removed to ADRX-19. Creature appears to be able to create micro-singularities using them both as a form of teleportation and defense. These singularities disappear several seconds after creation but emit massive amounts of radiation and cause severe damage to the surrounding area. The eye appears to control these manifestations as it has always had the eye exposed when creating the singularity. Omnivorous, it views humans as a food supply. Creature shows signs of extreme fear and sickness in the presence of high heat, humidity, or bright flashing lights. Creature appears unable to teleport through lead and cannot form singularities when it's in its sick state. When well, it is an extremely fast and cunning being and has killed several recovery agents with both its singularities and claws. Emits occasional shrieking sounds, all attempts to communicate have failed. Addendum. Additional objects reported. Overseers considering conversion of ADRX-19 to dedicated recovery and containment facility. Reports may need censorship for reasons of security. All right, so one of the stories is like, it, it it's like a true like origin story type attempt where you have this creature or this thing that is just a, a sheaf of paper that either creates SCP entities by generating 
new stories or it's predicting the existence of these entities by generating these reports that just kind of appear inside of the sheaf of papers. So it's almost an attempt to like can it's almost attempt to like uh, in a very metatextual way explain the medium of how the SCP exists within the universe of the world of SCP where it's like these these stories that that we read on this wiki page are being generated by this the first SCP entity and then the second one is just a, it's just like this could be any of them it's just a creature that's kind of like just an interesting idea it's just a it's it's a it's it's unremarkable in what it is it's just a creature that has had some thought put into it and has some kind of interesting uh aspects to its to what it does with the idea of like rejecting the idea that SCP-1 would be significant it's just like it's just it's just the first creature that they found so which which of these is your preferred SCP-1 which do you which do you like better well for me I I usually don't like when they give retroactive origins to things I kind of like the idea that the SCP has just like been around forever and the SCP-1 would just be a random creature, like the first one they encountered or whatever, that it doesn't have an inherent extra level of importance because it's the first one. Um, but frankly, I don't really like uh, the, you know, the Guatemalan river ghost or whatever the fuck the, the this, this one is. Um, and I actually really do like the idea that maybe the sheaf of papers is creating everything or maybe it's some sort of somehow a previous administration of the SCP made a deal with some extra dimensional being in order to catalog all of these uh, rogue, you know, um, magical cryptid, whatever pieces of uh, ephemera. And that it's now the the way that it's trackable or, or knowledgeable of like, you know, what what how do you figure out what they are? Um, oh, you almost kind of reverse engineer like a time travel plot where it's like, oh, there's a report in here on this thing. We have to go figure out where it is based on the like weird clues from the report of what it was. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't really much care for the second one. I think it's kind of just like conceptually, I like the idea that the first one wouldn't be significant. It's just like, it's just the first one they happen to find that sort of... Uh, Pre predated the founding of the organization, essentially. Um, and I really like the concept of the first one. The, and I, for all the same reasons you just said, I think it's a cool idea. The fact that it's the first one feels a little too perfect to me, that like that would be the first one that they found would just so happen to be this sort of like the 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 one that is able to like predict the other ones. That, that feels a little too perfect to me that it, be, it would be the first one that they found. But otherwise, I really like the concept and I almost I feel like it would work better if like in a different version of the SCP where that is that's the origin, like some person just found this sheaf of papers and it started generating these reports and then they were able to use those to go out and find these creatures like that's almost its own separate story, right? That's like a, that's a whole that's a that's a alternate dimension version of what the SCP could have been that it's all based around this magical sheaf of papers. But as a retroactive origin story for what the SCP is, it's a little too perfect to me that it's the first one, kind of like what you were saying. But I but I really like the idea of it. 
I I wish that there was I wish there was just one line in there about how it wasn't always SCP-1, but it is now. You know what I mean? Like I like the idea that there was just like a sheet of paper laying in somebody's office for like a decade and nobody noticed it, and then you start flipping through it and it has all of these classified reports in it and you're like what the fuck is this and then you hear something in a meeting and then you you're reading this thing later that night and it's in there like i like the idea that it's just somehow somebody involved in the scp foundation had it it lost its meaning through context laundering or changing administrations or whatever and then retroactively has been slotted in as scp0 or scp1 yeah, being SCP-0, I think, would be a good thing with what, like, exactly what you're saying. Act 4, The Tone War Never Ends. The second SCP wiki established the basic idea of the SCP Foundation with the About page written by Fritz Willy, the site administrator. Mankind in its present state has been around for a quarter of a million years, yet only the last 4,000 have had any significance. So, what did we do for nearly 250,000 years? We huddled in caves and around small fires, fearful of the things that we didn't understand. It was more than explaining why the sun came up, it was the mystery of the enormous birds with heads of men and rocks that came to life. So we called them gods and demons and begged them to spare us and prayed for salvation. In time, their numbers dwindled and ours rose. The world began to make more sense when there was less to fear. Yet, the unexplained can never truly go away, as if the universe demands the absurd and impossible. Mankind must not go back into hiding in fear. No one else will protect us. We must stand up for ourselves. While the rest of mankind dwell in the light, we must stand in the darkness to combat it, contain it, and shield it from the eyes of the public, so that others may live in the sane, normal world. We secure, we contain, we protect. Look, I'm sorry, before we keep going, that fucking rules. (laughs) Like, that fucking rules. Like, can you imagine this being read by, like, can you imagine this being read by, like, fucking Robert Redford over black, and then it opens, and you're inside a helicopter with a bunch of fucking GIs about to go on a mission? Like, come on. That's pretty fucking cool. And, and the reason why it's so good is because it could be so cheesy. It could be so dumb, but that fucking rule. It's such, like, keyboard warrior military porn that it's just, it's like a millimeter to the left and it would just be the dumbest thing ever a a millimeter to the left is like and the reason we're in this problem is because women and gays but it's just it's it it toes that line and it just ends up being really really cool it kind of it kind of hurts me how good this is i don't want to like this (laughs) i want (laughs) to i don't want to like this but i i'm really into this and it's funny too because it's not like it's actually not that far off from like the science punk stuff I do with Halloween boy, where it's like, he is a globetrotting adventurer. He is in the archetype of, you know, doc Savage or Hellboy or the phantom or whatever. But also it's like, he wears a, he wears military fatigue jumpsuits and he uses magical items, but they're like little weird trinkets. And like, you know, he has like a candle and he lights the candle and says like a weird demonic prayer. And this candle turns into a giant flaming sword and then he has to fight tanks and shit. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not, it's it's very close to my thing. Just my thing is like, what if we took this and did it pulp? 
instead of this and do it Cthulhu. Like this is like military Lovecraft, and mine is like, you know, uh, mine is Doc Savage military. Uh, and your yours does have the whole like, and, the, and this is all blamed on women part. Oh yeah, hundred percent. This was the site's first attempt to define the tone of the SCP Foundation. In time, the SCP Foundation administration would come to consider preserving a certain level of internal thematic consistency one of their main priorities. It was just a question of what that central theme was. In early 2009, as a response to the major increase in the number of wiki users and a likewise increase in the number of big ideas for SCP Foundation video games and such that didn't pan out, the administrators established their main philosophy for running the SCP Foundation in the years going forward as summarized by this post. My solution to the fail influx is simple and draconian. One, massive deletions. We have a ton of SCP items, and we could trim over one-fourth of them with no issue. No decommission, no please edit pleading, just gone. Free the number for someone else. Two, stricter edits. If people ask you again and again to edit your work and you do nothing, be prepared to lose your article. If you don't want to be productive, we have other people who are. If your only response is, okay, you fix it then, then be prepared to lose your article to the editor. If you made a steaming pile of shit and someone edited it into solid gold, then they should get the credit, not you. Three, banning. If you are consistently a jerk, uncooperative, stupid, slash horrible at writing, we do not want you. If your SCP keep getting downvoted or deleted, maybe you should be doing something else. Instead of constantly cleaning up after bad users, remove the source of the issue. In addition, a major issue appears to be users who have no idea what they're doing. I hate to use the Chan terms, but lurk the hell more. Read entries, go over the how-to page, read the comments, look over the highest and lowest rated, take at least a couple weeks to get into things before you start trying to post. Don't dive in with a pre-made avatar, 20 SCP ideas, a revolutionary image for the Foundation, and a new storyline. In short, we need to start acting more like the Foundation, a soulless, shadowy, bureaucratic entity with zero tolerance for mistakes, incompetence, or subordination. One whose actions are carried out swiftly and without apology or explanation. This is the version where it's where it's a millimeter to the left. You're taking this way too seriously. Yeah, this one is... Uh... We need to act more like the foundation, a soulless, shadowy, bureaucratic entity with zero tolerance for mistakes, incompetence, or insubordination. Like, you know, that's like the bad guys, right? Like, that's what the bad guys in these stories are, not the heroes. Oh, but wait, this is post 9-11, so we are the bad guys. So, all right, fuck it. <laughs> we'll let you slide, buddy. Buddy, you got you got caught up in the, uh, in the Zack Snyder, uh, we just love um, 9-11 grief porn. Yeah, yeah, this is like, the, the the little site intro is surprisingly restrained to the point where it just genuinely comes off as a cool little intro to the series. Um, but this is what it could have been, which is like a dude on his computer. Like, like it's, it's the dude in his mom's basement who's like taking himself way too seriously and turning what is effectively just like typing some shit on the internet into like, acting like it's the most important thing in the world. And it's just it's to the point where you're just rolling your eyes. You're just like, get the fuck over yourself, man. 2008 and 2009 saw the question of overall sight tone become central to its future when it entered what is popularly called the LOL Foundation era. Most popular fiction is character-focused, and fan culture is even more character-focused. The popularity of reaction videos, certain podcasts, and slice-of-life series show that people have a higher tolerance than once thought for people just hanging out. 
the SCP Foundation is inherently not character-focused. It's about a faceless covert organization and various objects and creatures that are alien to human understanding. Fans have coped with this in a variety of ways over the course of the Foundation's 15-year history, and in the early days of the Wikidot page, it manifested as the site users focusing on the Foundation researchers. The overall tone became lighter as people gave the Foundation a human face. There was a lot of workplace humor, such as the running joke about how unprofessional uses of SCPs would be punished with assignment to Keter duty, kept vague but implied to mean being forced to work with only partially contained and generally lethal Keter class SCPs. The other way this desire for more character focus manifested was the creation of what are sometimes called X-Men SCPs, anomalous humanoids with basic supernatural powers and distinct recognizable characters. There was pushback to this from users who felt it was undermining the thing that made the SCP Foundation unique. The SCP Foundation's style before this was explicitly anti-heroic. Not like how the members of Youngblood from Image Comics were anti-heroes, but in that the SCP Foundation's style was against the idea of having heroes, and sort of against the idea of having characters. No matter how positively people portrayed the Foundation, the quote, story was impersonal and cold, a massive world viewed only through a little glimpse in dry scientific documents. Making it about the anomalous people and the scientists trying to uncover their secrets turned it into just another soft SF urban fantasy series. As the cliche went, it was turning into X-Men, and you could already get that in the comic store. The SCP Foundation at its peak was something that only really worked in the wiki format, a kind of textual version of found footage films. I actually find this kind of interesting because, uh, you know, while in a certain context, I love the idea of the X-Men, obviously. I like the X-Men. I like creating a team of characters who all have these different walks of life, whether they're powers or like one of them's a dude and one of them's like a giant fish monster or whatever. And it's like, oh, this dude and this fish monster are hanging out and they're just like talking like they're buds or whatever. Like, I love that. But I also agree that in the context of the SCP, it kind of ruins what the appeal of the SCP is. Like, I don't want to read stories about like a like Wolverine being held captive in like in a, a government facility. I want to hear stories about increasingly unique and sort of diverse types of paranormal occurrences that range from a weird statue monster that when you turn your back to it, it kills you, and then a stack of papers that generates new monsters. That's what I want from this series. And so I agree that the idea of creating humanoid, heroic characters with powers doesn't really work with this. But I find it interesting because I know this is something that we've talked about on the show before, or maybe not. Maybe this is just something we've talked about in in person or you know off podcast before. But the idea that like the while comic book movies can and are can be and are cool frequently the idea of just that you would take a comic and make it into a movie kind of goes against the what comics are supposed to be. Like, they're not documents to be made into movies. They're not interchangeable with movies. They're their own specific medium where you can only do the types of things that you do in comics in comics, and you can't actually do those in other mediums. And the idea that they're just springboards for movies kind of undermines what comics are and what they're supposed to be and what their potential is. And I kind of find it interesting that this is almost kind of a similar thing with comics, that this idea of rejection of this idea that the SCP stories are just another way of telling stories like you could tell in comics. The medium of internet board fiction is its own unique thing 
where you can tell stories in a unique way that can only be done within internet board fiction. And it undermines the idea of what internet board fiction is that you would just turn it into another way of telling a comic book hero story. I, I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Another reason why it doesn't work to have like super powered people in the SCP foundations under their control, under their thrall, is that inherently you have to have empathy for a sentient, living, breathing person who has hopes and dreams and a backstory and trauma and depression and needs to sleep and eat, which goes against the ruthless, fascistic, militarized system that they've set up and that that the game of SCP fetishizes because it inherently puts it puts them in a position where they're keeping people against their will and is now getting into the moral quandaries of does torture and anti-terrorism preventative measures that are extra legal and black site facilities actually work does it or does it just create more terrorists so that you're when you when the situation evolves to the point where scp files are on people with powers that it immediately breaks the game because it injects empathy into a mathematical equation that isn't built to have empathy for the subjects. Yeah, it, it for better or worse, when the subjects are so alien that we don't recognize or empathize with them as humans or people, then the SCP in all of its moral grayness it kind of it kind of works for you or it's it's it can it's cool or like you're like i get it you know th- this is like i i understand what they're doing and they have to they have to do some things that normal people wouldn't be okay with doing but it's all in the for the greater good but the moment that you add in like things that are for all intents and purposes people then you're just like oh my god these are nazi death camps then then the scp just they become villains like they immediately are bad guys you can you can know there's no longer the there's no longer the facade or that 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 veneer that makes them not heroes, but like morally ambiguous or even morally um, morally uh, agnostic. You you kind of don't think about that. The delineation is that in the current structure, where it's creatures and animals or weird inanimate objects, the ends justify the means. But if it's a person, that's a question. Do the ends justify the means? And this, you know, user-generated non-authorial perspective on story isn't built to ask questions. It's built to make statements that flow in order. This problem boiled over in October of 2008 with SCP-239. SCP-239 was an eight-year-old girl who could rewrite reality with her thoughts. Some people thought she had too big of an impact on the world and would force other writers to adapt their works around it. Why don't we have SCP-239 make it not exist, became the obvious response to every dangerous anomaly. User Dr. Clef wrote the following as their researcher alter ego of the same name. Dr. A. Clef's report. My analysis on the situation has led me to the conclusion that SCP-239 is an unacceptable containment and security risk. Although several proposals have been made regarding using her for containing other SCPs, the example of SCP-953 and others must serve as a stark reminder that the risks of underestimating the Foundation's ability to control SCPs with reality-altering powers. I would therefore like to make the following proposal. A piercing implement will be constructed of SCP-148 
capable of penetrating SCP-239's otherwise impenetrable skin. This tool will be used to kill SCP-239 while she is asleep and her powers are neutralized. Because of the danger of SCP-239 awakening and resisting termination, it is my recommendation that the selected operative carry SCP-668 as well in order to minimize complications. One of the dangers of this procedure is the possibility that SCP-239 will awaken and perceive the operative as a friend or good person, thus changing reality to match. It is for this reason that I would like to volunteer to carry out the procedure personally. A review of my personnel file should indicate that my redacted should allow me to carry out the operation even after a reality shift of this nature. So one, that is the coolest in-universe way of saying, nah, fuck you, your shit's too broken. We can't deal with that shit. We gotta protect the meta creep. Your shit is just off the scale. We're getting rid of that thing. Because it's not even a retcon. It's just in-continuity explanation for how they're going to kill it. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, and, the, and they, they they started to do that a lot where some of the bigger, the like celebrity writers within the community, which are were just the most popular writers within this community of, you know, whatever, a couple thousand people or maybe less. Um, they adapt, they adopted like these quasi kayfabe, half reality, half in universe personalities where they as writers were themselves scientists within the SCP organization and all of their writings were in character as these people within the world of the SCP. And while that's cool, it starts to eventually get out of hand as we're, as we'll talk about. Yeah. But I mean, you can deal with that. I mean, you know, managing kayfabe isn't that hard. You don't have to, I mean, once, once you make some sort of decision that it's kind of hard to walk back, you don't have to commit to years worth of doing stuff. You can just throw your hands up and walk away. It's not that big a deal, you know? Yeah. It's like, there's never any, there's never any like little cracks in the kayfabe ever where like you are trying to like talk about your own life. And so you have to like say some weird offhanded explanation for why you as a different person would like know these things that that never happens now. And anybody who does do shit like that, like they're just not good at kayfabe, you know, like that's just they they need to be fucking pierced with SCP one nine nine eight, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, maybe maybe they're maybe they're an SCP. The researchers at the SCP Foundation were about to kill an eight year old. The question of where the foundation was willing to go and whether they were justified going there was now wide open. It's stayed that way. Another user with a researcher alter ego, Dr. Kondraki, told Dr. Clef that if the fictional Dr. Clef was going to kill SCP-239, the fictional Kondraki would be obligated to stop him. This led to the creation of the War of the Doctors story, which ended with many unpopular SCPs being decommissioned. This was met with great approval from many of the site's users, who were beginning to see the issue with the site having little to no quality control. And as, as a quick aside, I find it very funny that, like, without any of the real-world ep- implications, this whole dynamic is just almost identical to QAnon. It's like QAnon within a virtual machine. It's like all of the weird personalities that cropped up, the egos, the weird feuds, the way that they've turned themselves into influencers within the community. It's just QAnon, except for it's a, it's has no damaging real-world implications. The QAnon people are just doing this but with politics instead of a fake story. Yeah, yeah. The, the the only real kind of damaging thing is just what was happening in the 2000s of just like military f- 
fetishism, a lack of understanding for our fellow human, and uh, a clumsy use of metaphorical othering uh, in order to try and make money off of. And also there's some examples later on of like underage people being groomed on the wiki and they ended up putting an age limit on it. So definitely some bad things happened. But in the grand scheme of things, just talking about the fact that this is just a fictional story and not real life politics that is being like influenced by a bunch of people sitting on their computers fucking kayfabing. Thus began the decom boom. Administrators would check the wiki for SCPs with very low ratings, check if anyone wanted to rewrite it, and if no one did and there was enough public support, they would write a story about its destruction and move it to the decommissioned SCPs section of the wiki. This was one of the places where the site really defined the characters of the senior staff, who were mostly self-inserts of the moderators and admins. These decom stories were popular at the time since they had characters written by popular authors going up against supernatural entities using the most creative methods the author would come up with. There was a push to see who could come up with the most bizarre way of decommissioning a powerful SCP, which climaxed with a story called Duke Till Dawn, which featured Dr. Kondraki writing SCP-682, the hard-to-kill lizard, and trashing a foundation facility. It was then that the moderators realized things had gotten out of hand. So this is this is where it goes too far. This is the this is the prequelization of it, where it's like this was cool, and now you've got a scientist riding a giant lizard. Like we've got to go back. Yeah, we can't. We the meta creep has gone too far. Uh, we can't have Godzilla and King Kong fighting on these fucking aircraft carriers anymore because uh, we've we had we've had to make them so large to fight to crash into buildings on the American skyline that they now can't physically fit on a fucking aircraft carrier but now we're just going to kayfabe it and just make the aircraft carrier like three times larger than a natural air car- aircraft carrier would be and just hope nobody notices and fuck it moving on moving on moving on and then everybody will just like debate which one of us which one of them will win even though it's a movie not a literal like simulation of a battle between them <laughs> and c- clearly neither of them are going to win because it's a movie and they're not going to like have one kill the other. So they're going to have some kind of like ending where it kind of shakes out to be equal. And I don't know why anybody ever thought that that was going to happen, but I, I, I digress. The DCOM started to reduce the amount of cheesy overpowered SCPs and it had just resulted in them turning the SCP Foundation staff into superheroes. This was not the thing that had so gripped their imaginations at the start of this project and it smacked of hypocrisy. Writers who weren't moderators or old hands on the site couldn't have gotten away with writing this stuff. To give an idea of how fast things were moving, by the time the whole fiasco ended, it was still only March of 2009. In the aftermath of the DCOM craze, right as the staff set about trying to tone things down, the site experienced a new influx of users. The SCP Foundation had gotten a page on TV Tropes, the all-devouring pop culture wiki, which brought it to a new audience. In terms of the modern SCP website, it would be a very small number of people, but at the time, the few dozen it brought to the SCP wiki was enough to fundamentally shift the site's dynamic. Dr. Kondraki was not happy with the shift away from the LOL Foundation attitude. They had started trolling other users and editing other people's articles without permission, which escalated to them deleting every article on the site's low-rated page list without consulting the rest of the administration. This led to the other administrators revoking their admin status. They would later be permanently banned from the wiki for stalking another SCP wiki user in Second Life. Dr. Kondraki, more like Dr. Don't Come Backy. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, if you, you should have been there. Yeah, man. This never would have happened if I was just like, hey, bro, later. 
go stalk somebody on Second Life, you fucking weirdo. But also, what a time capsule, Second Life. Remember that shit? I mean, I'm I, I'm still in it now. We're not, nah, man. We're just we're just living in the metaverse now. We're living in the in the world that Second Life started. With Kondraki no longer resisting, the remaining administrators began looking at a total restructuring of the wiki. The problem was that there were a lot of mediocre SCP entries that just hovered at two or three downvotes because people didn't care about them. They began the plans for the mass edit. This idea had been floating around basically since the inception of the SCP wiki. It was the solution to the one-third weapons that drive you berserk, one-third monsters that hate humanity, and one-third doomsday devices problem mentioned earlier. The first step was to give the project a finite scope by temporarily blocking anyone from writing new SCPs. Once it began in earnest, staff members combed through every SCP on the site in blocks of 100 and put them up for public review. Volunteers would be able to edit the entries for a fixed time period, then all users got the opportunity to vote on whether the SCP could be deleted. This took a very long time and had a side effect of removing almost all the joke SCPs, because most of them were pop culture references people other than their writers didn't enjoy. Some people pushed back against the mass edit, but the site consensus appears to have been in favor of it. There was now a clear deletion protocol, standards for how good you had to be to start writing SCPs, good communication among staff, and a backlog small enough that they could focus their efforts on the new entries coming in. Admins lifted the moratorium on new SCPs and the site moved on. It was now November of 2009. There was a staff member active on the site at this time by the handle of Fishmonger. Fishmonger was very important in the early days of the SCP wiki and had written a large number of popular stories. After another staff member downvoted one of his stories, Fishmonger insulted the staff member and his girlfriend on the wiki and the SCP Foundation IRC which along with the subsequent comments made at the other staff members led to the revocation of his admin privileges and a temporary ban. Here is the rationale for the decision as explained by the administrator, Dr. Gears. Fish is a foul-mouthed, wretched, petty man who breathes cruelty and shits suffering. That being said, he's one of the best writers we have, and therefore we have dealt with this rubbish continuously for some time. Much like an atomic scientist who insists on having hookers for assistance, we have complied with his eccentricities due to the demand for his work. However, this has gotten out of hand. Kondraki was slapped for less than this, and then at least pretended to be contrite at times. Fishmonger seems to be under the impression that his body of work exempts him from any and all rules, but that's just not so. Yes, his work is good, but this is not the old days. The talent pool has deepened, and, like Kondraki, Fishmonger is not as vital to our existence as he used to be. Fishmonger continued writing SCPs as a regular user after the ban expired. He claimed to have not realized he was banned and had just been taking a break. This all went south when he claimed he had written an SCP with a different account as an experiment. He was permanently banned from the wiki on the grounds that either he had created a sock puppet account or was impersonating another user. Fishmonger asked for staff to take down all of his work and threatened legal action if they didn't do so in two weeks. After a long argument between Fishmonger and the rest of the Foundation staff, they complied. This is relevant because it caused the removal of a large section of SCP work and any references to it, including some very popular long-form stories, a couple of SCPs, and a group of interest called Foo. Along with Kondraki, two of the site's early pioneers were gone, and Dr. Clef stepped down from administration after the debacle due to the stress it caused him. Through parts of 2010 and 2011, the website ran with a single admin. This was the end of the wiki's attitude that you didn't have to be nice if you did good work, and it was also the end of a unified SCP canon, now that a lot of the canon's founding texts were gone. People wondered if the website could move on from this. The interesting thing here is that many SCP articles have sections redacted, marked with data expunged or replaced with a black box. 
This is to preserve mystery for the reader and to maintain the kayfabe that these are real articles from a covert organization that keeps people on a need-to-know basis. Now the admins had actually expunged a bunch of data from the site. The wiki tried to seem like the database of the fictional SCP Foundation, and now they too had deeply buried secrets and information no longer available even to members of the Foundation. Kayfabe bleeds into reality. And I think this is another like big flaw or like huge risk with crowdfunded stories and world building is like you've created this massive uh, world with all these different stories. It's comprised of all these different individual pieces and all of those things have become canonized. There are characters and creatures that are canon to the story and um, stories that are very popular that are identified as like this is, you know, it's like this is like the best episode of the X-Files or whatever. This is like one of the best SCP stories. And then if one of those people that contributed a bunch of those stories and characters and and creatures and things to the canon, if they end up being like a pedophile or if they just like get mad and take the ball home and say like, I'm leaving and you need to take down all of the things that I've written because I don't want them there anymore. You don't have my consent anymore. It just like it'll just like gut this world you've built. It it just completely destroys it from within. If a person decides to leave and take down all their stuff, or if they end up being like some piece of shit that has done some horrible thing, and then you kind of want to disassociate yourself from them, then you just you've just gutted your entire canon in a way that doesn't really exist with other things. You know, like I mean, it does in a certain degree. If 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 somebody ends up being a piece of shit and they they have a majority stake in something, then that whole thing is kind of ruined. Like, you know, it's kind of hard to watch the Cosby show now. Um, but on the other hand, at least there's some protocol for it. Like that show, The Loud House on Cartoon Network, the creator of the show, what, uh, you know, was outed as serially sexually harassing women on the production staff. He was fired, but the show continued on because it was owned by a central entity and it had a a, a staff of other people who contributed to the world building that sort of took it and were able to take all the aspects of it, of it that he created and just take them on and continue on with this thing. And it retained all of its parts essentially. I mean, it might've been a little bit damaged and marred by the fact that he created it, but ultimately he walked away and then the rest of the, of the staff and team we're able to just continue on with it without skipping a beat, basically, just losing this one person. And for better or worse, it's because it was owned by one central entity and wasn't this weird crowdfunded thing that had no contract or established protocol for who controlled what and what to do if somebody wanted to walk away from it. Due to the splintering of the canon, you want happy endings? Fuck you, you're alive to read it, really captured the attitude of the SCP fiction going into the 2010s. Gone was the early Foundation's faceless bureaucracy performing a thankless but essential task like garbage men with high mortality rates, and gone was the Law Foundation era where it was all Deadpool-esque black comedy with larger-than-life characters. Most of the people responsible for those variations of the Foundation had moved on, or been moved on. This was the logical evolution of the organization that had an 8-year-old girl killed to make reality stop being dictated by what she happened to believe at the time. What if she thought the world was about to end? What if she got religion? This kind of scenario was constant in the world of the SCP Foundation, and the stakes were too high for restraint. All the human testing, all the dead D-class staff, all the regular people in prison for things they couldn't change, it was all acceptable sacrifices for people to live in a world where they wouldn't be eaten alive by giant snakes 
develop a cancer that grew in their mind rather than their physical body, be teleported into the Pacific Ocean, and be incinerated alongside everyone else when the world ended in that order. This attitude would have its own backlash, just like Law Foundation did. But it was the main idea for a long time. One of the things to notice here is the idea that the SCP Foundation preserves world normalcy. This especially would get backlash in later years, as a lot of people found the idea that people and objects can be shunted off to black sites just for seeming abnormal to a shadowy worldwide conspiracy to be a little disturbing. One last loose end of Law Foundation in the mass edit was SCP-0762, colloquially known as Abel. Abel is basically indestructible and can summon bladed weapons out of thin air. He started existence as a kind of Wolverine knockoff who worked with Mobile Task Force Omega-7, a group of anomalous humans employed as agents by the Foundation. 07602 was very popular, on the same level as 173 and the hard-to-kill lizard, but by 2010, he was starting to become a reminder of a time people wanted to move past. Abel was the patient zero for X-Men-type SCPs, and a lot of the decommissioned and deleted SCP knockoffs of Abel. So Clef rewrote Abel as more of a monster and killed off all the Omega-7 except for SCP-105. SCP-105 is Iris Thompson, a woman who can take photos that turn into portals to the place she took the photo. Now that users have stopped doing the superhero stuff, she mostly stands today as an example of the SCP Foundation being unethical by putting people with power they never chose to have in secret holding facilities. But recently she co-starred in an SCP Foundation novel published by Japan Seven Seas Entertainment. It's about her trying to escape with an ordinary guy stuck in a Foundation holding facility by sheer bad luck. It's not the kind of story that generally gets written by SCP Wiki users. As said before, the Wiki has a weird relationship with classic protagonist-driven stories, but it's an example of the burgeoning versatility of the franchise, if we can call it that. To have a Japanese publishing company publish a light novel in the canon of a collection of internet wiki stories is something that could only come to happen in the 2010s internet. The whole Omega-7 debacle is an example of something very common in the Foundation's history. An author wants to write something out of the Foundation universe and does it in a way that makes the Foundation look either evil or criminally negligent. This buildup over time and combined with the fact that very few SCPs ever get explained or declassified it gives the general impression that the SCP Foundation achieves nothing. This is where a concept we might call the Jedi Phenomenon comes into play. If you have a fictional organization with a reasonable set of principles and then expand on their story through efforts of multiple writers, the likelihood their principles will start to look batshit goes up dramatically with every published piece of fiction. Another good example of this phenomenon is the life cycle of long-running superheroes who are doomed to do the same things over and over and expect different results. The last major event to affect the tone of the early site was the banning of a user called X. X was one of the main people to transfer SCPs from the Edit This Wiki to the Wiki Dot page, and remained active on the second Wiki's IRC. Unfortunately, the main things they liked to do on the IRC were post links to porn and make rape jokes. Admins, who had been in the Foundation as long as he did, banned him in 2012 marking the point where it was clear to those who had been there since the 4chan days that they were no longer running a 4chan-style operation. It was also a symbol of a shift in site culture towards a more friendly and welcoming attitude, which would always balance strangely with the increasingly bleak nature of the content. But that was a problem for later. 2012 was the year the SCP Foundation got a windfall. So, basically... Leading into 2012, this thing that was this originally amorphous collection of people generating stories with absolutely no rules, a complete Wild West, as it got on in years, they started to realize that there was a need for some kind of structure, some kind of set of rules. They started kicking out bad actors. For all intents and purposes, they were starting to shift this thing into what could be recognized as a brand, 
and leading into 2012 was the a new dawn of an age when this thing that existed on a wiki page as just a collection of stories was starting to get gobbled up by the greater existence of commodified pop culture. So this first thing we see is that there's this Japanese company that produces a light novel in the universe of the SCP. And that is only going to get bigger um, and lead to more weird intersections of mainstream pop culture with SCP as we get into 2012 and beyond, uh, which we'll do in the second episode of the SCP Foundation series. Um, but it's really interesting. Uh, you know, we'll talk about this all in the second episode of the show next week. But just here and now, we'll say that it's really fascinating because I think this was the first time that the template for this type of thing was really created. And now we see that, like, you know, stuff like Five Nights at Freddy's or Undertale were this low key indie thing that got popular on the internet, launches this weird huge um, deregulated and decentralized franchise where this thing created by one or a bunch of people on the internet is then taken and iterated out into making movies and comics and books and fan art and cosplay at conventions. It's like a a self-sentient franchise that isn't owned by one specific corporation or entity. It's just like, willed into existence by the internet and then licensed by people who want to capitalize on the, on the hype. And this is like, this is the template for that thing that is now kind of just like a mainstay in pop culture. Really? I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been deep cuts. If you'd like to find me on the internet, you can do so at HeyDaveBaker.com or on socials as X Dave Baker X. Spandrew, where can people find you? You can find me in a containment unit being observed as SCP-303. Spandrew Spice, the the one-eyed, eye-patched, cool guy who's just cool and he's a guy. And uh, you can't find me on social media because I'm not on social media. But if you want to pay your respects to the dear beloved Papa Pricey and get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye, you can go to his website, dapricerights.com, and pick that up. You can also follow us on social media. Go to Facebook, search Deep Cuts Podcast. You can join our Facebook group, Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group, where we talk about the show and make memes. You can also join our Discord server, bit.ly.com slash Discord, where we talk about the show, make memes, talk about other things, and play games. You can go to our website, deepcutspod.com. Click on the shop. You can get hats and shirts and other things with Deep Cuts graphics emblazoned on them. You can also get our Mystery Treehouse Junior Sleuth shoulder patch. You can follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. This episode was written by special guest writer Louis Poggi. If you're interested in writing an episode of Deep Cuts, email us at andrew at boygeniusmedia.com.